1: What did you do to celebrate your last birthday? A party? A dinner, maybe? Father Michael Flager conducted a gun buyback event at his Southside Church after a weekend of inspiring graduating eighth graders and stirring up trouble. Good trouble, he would say. This weekend, we'll catch up and look ahead. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Father Michael Flager, the senior pastor for the faith community of St. Sabina. It's the Roman Catholic Church near 79th Street in Racine. He's been pastor since 1981. He was 31 when he was first appointed. At the time, he was the youngest pastor in the Chicago Archdiocese. Pretty sure he doesn't hold that title any longer, uh, but he has been an unwavering advocate for the Auburn Gresham community where the church is located and an outspoken critic of the gun industry and gun violence. He's a public safety member of the new Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson's transition team, and full disclosure, I say this all the time, uh, my wife and I don't go to church nearly as often as we should, though we are getting better, uh, but when we do go, we attend Mass at St. Sabine, and I suppose after 30 years, we can consider ourselves members, though far from the most worthy. That is a devouted, devout and uh, very active congregation, and uh, it's, a, it's amazing to see sometimes. Uh, we are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing, and Father Flager, welcome back.
2: Thank you. Craig. Good to be here. Thank you for all you do. Well, thank
1: you. Uh, let's let's start with the gun back buyback event last uh, Monday. How how successful was it? And really, do these things really help when you look at the overall picture of crime?
2: Well, um, is this solved the crime problem? <laughs> Absolutely not. But the reality is. And this we deal with violence, not just in Chicago or Illinois, but across this country. Um part of the problem, or a piece of the problem at least, is guns. Um, America has a love affair with guns. It's become part of our American wardrobe. Um, and we have more guns than we have people in the United States. Um, and now not only is guns continue to grow and 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 assault weapons that refuse to be banned nationally. And now we have like 20-some states that you don't even need a permit to get a gun anymore. Um, The NRA has done an amazing job of making people believe that they are safer with a gun. And no statistic proves that. And so um, we see guns now are the first line of offense. We see guns when they're mad at your spouse, they shoot them. When they're road rage, shooting. You're mad at your job, you shoot them. Uh, folks on a corner in in a neighborhood getting at each other, they shoot him. Um, so that has become our first line of, of offense. And somehow we have to deal with this madness. Um, so I want to continue to draw attention to the fact that guns ought not to become something we become norm with and, and and accepting of. There was a retired football player, Craig, who, uh, and I can't think of his name right now, but I was at a round table with him a few years ago. And he said how his friends had told him, you need to have a gun with your money, your reputation, and your profile for your own safety when you go places. And he was always against He Finally, he got a gun. And when he got that gun, he would obviously carry it with him. So one day, he was at a stoplight. And a person came up walking toward his car. And he said he reached down. And the first thing he did was grab for his gun. And the guy was coming to ask instru- uh, directions of where to go. And he said he was so embarrassed afterwards. And he said he realizes if you have a gun, it's going to be the first thing that you go to. And so he ended up getting rid of his gun after that and become a very uh, loud spokesman, saying guns is not, should not become something that we run to first whenever we feel fear or feel uncomfortable. Um, and so we had this gun turn in. Um, You know, people say, well, does it do any good? Well, any working gun we get off the street is is a good thing. We had parents who came in who found this gun in their kid's room. Um, We had a young person that came in. We got 10 assault weapons in here, um, which are absolutely some of the most ridiculous and dangerous items out in our streets. Um, So my job is not to say, well, is this going to be it or is this the end of my job is to say I'm going to continue to address it. Um, our theme for this summer is a gun is not the answer. And that's the message I want to keep getting across in any way that I can, from a gun turn in to rallies, to peace walks, um, to any conversation, a gun is not the answer.
1: Um, Let's talk a little bit about, because one of the debates that comes up, and, and this is, I think, something that hovers over a lot of issues, but especially the issues of violence, that There are so many elements and one of them is that as you say guns have become something that kids even think they have to carry and we have a lot of talk about parental responsibility and that's another one of those two-edged swords uh that people are saying well how can parents not you know be more responsible about where their children are and what time it is but then you know, a lot of parents are saying, yeah, and I have to work two jobs to even feed that child and I'm not home. And, you know, how much does parental responsibility and what's going mm. on within the families play but, a role in this?
2: I think you're right. It's a two-edged sword. And I'm I'm not one now to try to demonize parents because I, I know a lot of struggling mothers or struggling fathers trying to raise their children. And you're right. They're working eight, 10 hours a day Um, sometimes two jobs, just trying to provide, keep a roof over their head and food in their stomach or an education for them. Um, But at the same time, I think that we have to, not just parents uh, say, you know, know where your child's at. We're in a day-to-day and everybody has a phone and you have locators on your phone. So you can know where your child is at any given time. And if you see that your child is someplace that you're not sure why they're there or they shouldn't be there, you know, give them a call right away. Say, I see where you're at. Get home or walk away. So I do think we need to have the parents to become uh, have to make sure that they're taking a, a responsibility for their young people and checking their rooms. There was one mother that came here one time and brought in a gun, and she said, uh, she happened to be checking her her daughter's room and found a gun in there. Her daughter was keeping it for a friend at school, and she took the gun, brought it in here, and 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 turned it in. She didn't want any money. She just wanted to get rid of it. Um, and that's why we take guns in here, you know, seven days a week. We'll accept them at, at our church office. Um, but at the same time, we've got to reconnect or rebuild that village mentality. You know, that um, it's not just a parent on that child. Some of them are struggling. Some of them are, you know, just trying to make it through life. First of all, we need to have more. Um, advertisement, and if you will, more access to parents, uh, particularly single mothers, were saying, I'm having a problem with my son. Uh, you know, he's not, he is disrespecting me. I don't seem that he can get a list of me. Where do I reach out to? Do You call 311? We need to have availability to parents to get help in raising their child. And then neighbors got to take an active responsibility again. You know that, you know, growing up years ago, it was, you know, The whole block parented you, you know, the store owner parented you. Um, And we've got to get back to that so that there are people all day long checking our children. Hey, how you doing? What's your goals? How's your grades doing at school? What's next? What are you doing this summer? Be careful, be safe. We've got to reconnect that. So I say to oftentimes to uh, adults who come in and say, oh, that, that lady across the street, she's just not taking care of our children. I said, are you helping her? While you're talking about what she's not doing, are you helping her? How can you add to supporting her and to strengthening her and, and be part of the village for her? So I think parents do have obviously responsibility for their child. I think neighbors have responsibility for their child. I think help with the parents and, and places they can go to to get support are important. So I think it's a again, it's a comprehensive picture, but we all got a part in this. You know, churches and families. We got to be there for our young people. What are we doing to provide to mentor um to to speak life into our young people uh, about the choices they make for their future and where they're at? I tell folks that with these going downtown, there's nothing wrong with our young people going downtown um because they feel safer there than they do in their own neighborhood often. But if you're in a group and you see it's starting to go left or there's some some uh, some anger or some something about to break out, get out of there, walk away, leave, go home, go to another place of downtown. But they've got to make right choices too. So it's, it's everybody got a piece in this puzzle and we've all got to be uh, doing our part.
1: And um, we're going get, to get deeper into this, but this is probably the, the best time to bring up uh, what you uh, uh, were quoted as saying in, uh, in the newspaper uh, over the weekend. And that is, but it has to do with how much churches are doing, how much churches can do. Uh, You were proposing to lift the tax exemption from religious institutions that uh, fail to do enough to uh, help young people. Uh, Let me first let you uh, clarify exactly what you were saying uh, as opposed to what we read.
2: Well, I think that um, I've gotten some, certainly gotten some pushback from it since, um, which I wasn't surprised at, but we have thousands of churches in Chicago, some blocks you can find four or five churches on one block. Um, and while we've continually hear that we've got to have more activities and more outreach and more trying to investment into our young people's lives, I think the faith communities play an important and necessary part in this. So my thing has been that if we are living tax exempt in a neighborhood, then what we need to do is say, how do we serve this neighborhood? Um, It can be from a mother at the church teaching cooking to some kids, Um, a male in the church teaching uh, how to fix a car or car mechanics, And, uh, and somebody else teaching sewing to some children. You know, if it's five, 10 kids, If we open our doors beyond Bible study, choir rehearsal, and Sunday morning, and realize we can have an impact, and guess what? When you're gathering there for that sewing class, that car mechanics, that uh, cooking class, whatever, it's an opportunity to impart and invest in a children's lives, to have conversation with, talk with them about their lives, what's going on, how you feeling, how you doing. And, you know, in some blocks, if we have four or five churches, maybe they could come together and do something in the neighborhood. If one church alone can't do it, knock on the door of the church down the street. Um, And sometimes, Craig, it can be just as easy as walking out in the corner after your Bible study, after your choir rehearsal, going out on a Friday night, standing on the corner, praying on the corner, being out there and talking to people and talking to our young people and letting neighbors know we're here, we care. So I do think there's an obligation, and I also do believe that if churches are just set there taking up tax-exempt space, that if they're not going to serve at all that neighborhood, then they should not be tax-exempt. They should lose their tax-exempt status because they're taking up space, but they're not offering anything to the community. Um, So whether it's a church, a synagogue, a mosque, and I don't think it's just in the west side or south side, I think all over Chicagoland area. If we believe that God planted that church there, he does he does nothing by accident, but if the church is planted there, then do some of that neighborhood. And the problem we often hear, Craig, is that, well, none of my members uh, live in this neighborhood, and so they don't feel an investment there, but that's where your church is. And if all your members live someplace else, then move to where your members are. But don't take up space and, and not only for the tax and the tax exempt thing, what kind of a witness is it when people say, wow, there's five churches in this block and nothing—they're not. none of them are doing anything for this neighborhood? Um, that's what makes us, in terms of, I think, Christians, Jews or Muslims, what makes us true to our faith is not what we do in the building, but what we do when we leave the building in our lives and for the broader community. So... I just really charge churches synagogues, and Gamas to see your membership is not those that sit in your pews, but your membership is the neighborhood in which you live. And if you are not going to do anything for that neighborhood, then maybe you should pay taxes.
1: And and at a time when I think a number of uh, religious institutions are looking for, uh, you know, more members to come in, you would think something like that would you know, make them want to go out into the neighborhood.
2: And not only think I know, I think it's a reality. Um, I can't tell you. I would guess there's thirty to forty percent of people that have joined our church in the last number of years have come because they see us, meet us in the neighborhood, meet us on a walk, meet us a the block. Their kids come to our, our our. They've come to a food giveaway. Um, they see it. And then they want to come to the place and find out about the place that's doing this. So I think it's an, an amazing evangelization tool to reach the community. And yes, and the community says, okay, I don't have a church. This church is serving me. This church is helping. This church is doing walks. This church is giving away food. This is the church I'm going to come to. So I think it is a way of bringing new people to your church and and also serving your community. And now they become if you will the can be the leadership uh, of the church in the neighborhood because they live there.
1: You're listening to WBBM News Radio's at issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Father Michael Flager, the senior pastor of St. Sabina Catholic Church on the South Side. I sometimes wonder how a community keeps from turning to despair because you know with the violence in a number of areas. It's, it's it's not just on the south side and the west side. It's it's a lot of places, but it is there too. It's like you're you're burying way too many children, uh, you know, from from gun violence. And how do you keep people from despairing?
2: Well, I tell people all the time that um, because I'm a Christian, because of my belief in God, I'm a prisoner of hope. Um, we are in very difficult and challenging and despairing times. We see. We've seen this enormous uh, growth of depression. Uh, we've seen people traumatized. You know, when you go into a gathering and that's how many people know somebody has been shot, almost everybody raises their hand. Um, say, you live in a trauma neighborhood where there's, um, in at least in this community, where you see abandoned stores and abandoned buildings and lack of resources. But like you say, it's not just here, it's everywhere. Everybody's experiencing At times where there's so much division, where there's so much mean-spiritedness, where there's um, this separation of people, we live in our own, you know, even before um, the pandemic, people were closing into their own little worlds and being divided and disconnected, and then the pandemic sent it on, you know, steroids. Because now six feet distancing, you looked at everybody as a possible enemy of the vi- of the virus. Somebody coughed in the store, everybody looked at them. I mean, so this we became very disconnected, and so we don't have that that sense of value of of relationship like we ought to have and need to have. And then you have a world that's divided, that's angry, where there's. You know, migrants on police station stores, police getting shot, young people getting shot, carjacking. Um, the economy is uh, always up and down and wondering what's going to happen next. So I believe personally that if you don't believe in something greater than you and bigger than you, you are going to be overwhelmed by the despair and overwhelmed by the fear there's just so much fear out there today and you know I tell people about the time fear can either motivate you or it's going to paralyze you and i think that um i think that we've got to have um a sense of there's a god allah whatever we call that that higher power if you will that there has to be something that you believe in that's greater stronger that sits on a throne, that watches over us, and that no matter how bad things get, um, there's a limit where God says enough, and he will step in. And that's where we, who call ourselves members of churches, synagogues, and mosques, have to be the voice of that and have to be the witness of that. But I think the only thing in my life that I you can overcome that that trauma, that depression, that fear with is a belief system that's bigger than you, that you're rooted in. Um, And again, whatever that particular religious or faith system you're in, there has to be something saying, I read the end of the book, you know, justice wins, peace wins, love wins, righteousness wins, hate and, and lies and evil and wickedness are not going to win. But how long that takes is up to us. What we do to destroy hate and wickedness and evil um, and and hatred and and violence, it, we have the power to change it. you know all the way back in Genesis, God puts the, the world in our hands. Mm-hmm. and I talked about this last Sunday. The, the plan God has for is in our plans, what are we going to do about it? So it's up to us, and it's always trusting in a God that's bigger than us what
1: can we do ab- about the kind of violence that we're seeing these days and you know maybe maybe, maybe i'm uh, you know maybe it's because i'm getting older uh <laughs> i'm only a couple of years behind you um, um. but, <laughs> but uh, uh, about things like the flash mobs we're seeing where people somebody says on social media hey let's go down and make some trouble and and hundreds of people do uh, you know, they, that happened in one of the Chicago suburbs uh, over the last uh, right. Uh, weekend. Right, Disney Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or when people are willing to shoot into a crowd because one person that they think they saw is there and several people die, it's like a disdain for life. It's like people are, don't, ca- don't care about anyone's life, that it's all right to end that life, you know, on a whim. And I'm not sure how you attack
2: that. Well, I think at least one of the ways we can attack that is I think we have to, if I I don't value my life, I'm not going to value anybody else's life either. And I think a lot of our young people don't value their life. They don't see a future. They don't see a plan. They don't see a, a purpose in their lives, so they live day to day to day, sometime hour to hour to hour. So I think we've got to, part of it has to be is we have to make sure that we as adults train our children up to help them understand, listen, you have power, you have potential, you have talent, you're gifted, you have all these possibilities in you. Um, And, you know, and the kids in our school, I always ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they have to tell me at least three things. And and then I say to them, now your job is to find out what's the thing God called you to do because that's what you're going to be best at. Um, a person who's invested, you know, in their future is less likely to get pulled into something today or tomorrow that can take me from my future or uh, or abort my future for me. I think that's one thing. And then I think it's helping our. Uh, so we got to continue to affirm and 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 speak life into our young people, and talk about their futures, talk about their purpose, talk about their destiny, so that they become constantly encouraged in it. And then we've got to teach our children to be peer leaders with each other. No, we can't do that, man. You know, I'm I'm on my way to college. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to be a um, a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a bus driver. I want to be a nurse. That we talk about that becomes the conversation that motivates because if that is not in our conversation and in our, our, our speaking with one another, then we get pulled into what at the moment, you know, and then we got to teach our children the importance of being leaders and not followers. Because if there is a, um, if I'm in a group and somebody's going in the direction that is not healthy for me, that, uh, I value my future too not, too much to be dragged into that. Because like you say, that time that happened down in Chicago, two kids got shot. I'm sure they didn't go down there wanting or desire or even thinking they were going to be shot. But when you hang around negative energy, your life becomes vulnerable and, 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 you, and it becomes open to whatever can go on at that moment against you. So I think we, our children have to have a vision in them for their future. We adults have to continue to encourage that, speak that, uh, talk about that, expose our children to other things, taking them all over to places. You know, you know, if your child's interested in being um, um, a doctor or a nurse, get some doctor or nurse, go to some house, have them talk to them, have them mentor them, have them be a mentor in their lives. Um, a lawyer, define some lawyer to have our children exposed to all the possibilities so that their energy is driven in that and not sitting there waiting for somebody to light a match for me to follow in energy and a negative stuff because I have nothing positive going on in my life. And then I think it's also providing positive activities for our young people, opportunities in their neighborhood, in their communities, Um, And in their schools, I I don't understand, Craig, why we have a captive audience in our schools from preschool to senior year high school. Why are we not teaching to our children leadership school uh, techniques, Um, peer pressure, um, conflict resolution, uh, the danger of what guns can do and, and what happens of positive sources and positive energy Why are we not teaching that to our children? And some say, well, you know, those kids in the school, they're not the main problems out in the street. Okay, maybe not. I think that's not true. Some of them are. But also the opportunity that we can make them leaders for their peers on the street. So when there's some negative energy comes out, a lot of times out of a vacuum of nothing else, if our young people become leaders and peer leaders and the big key word of this day, influencers. Let's create influencers in our children for one another, for their peers. They can speak to their peers better than the adult can. So positive energy, activities, um, vision, purpose, and then um, building a city that continues to ha- to speak to our young people about our love and our care and the wealth of them and not just discounting them.
1: I do want to ask one quick question. We only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, oh, about wow. okay, uh, uh, and this is government bringing government into this because you're part of the uh, the transition team. Uh, what's the atmosphere there? I mean, you're coming. That's an administration that's coming in with its work cut out for it in a number of <laughs> areas. The ones we're talking about right now being among them. Uh, you know people are talking about root causes and all of that. How how is that view
2: being felt
1: uh, from the transition level?
2: Well, I think the, Brandon has a tremendous advantage in the fact that he's coming in with a lot of excitement about him and a lot of, you know, positivity and people are excited about him, the young brother, uh, with a vision and wants to bring about a change and brings speaks about a lot of hope, so he's got a a running head start of people saying, "Hey, we like what you're saying. We have hope in you." Um, but I think we are fools to think that what we've done in the past under uh, so many different people, including President Obama, um, okay, they're going to do it now. No, they're <laughs> they're one person and they walk into a system that is gonna pull them in every direction they can to try to control them. So we have to push them, we have to keep pressure on them, we have to um, commit to working with them. Um, but also, like you just mentioned, that the administration has to understand we have serious issues in the city of poverty, tail two cities, violence, the migrants, um, education system, police, community, um, disconnectedness, we have to come up and the administration has to listen to the community, listen to the people, Miss Jones on the street, who sits on a porch sometimes, knows more about the neighborhood than the aldermen or the state reps do. Talk to people, listen to people, work with people, partner with people, and have some real strategy for these issues, otherwise, you know, the hope will go in a minute, the air will come out of that balloon. If this is a violent summer, and there's not some real programs and strategy and partnership in the fall when somebody talk about Mayor Johnson. I say, yeah, ain't no different than nobody else. You know how quickly that can turn. So there has to be some real strategy, real partnership. Take this momentum of hope and use it for our advantage.
1: Well, thank you very much. And that is Father Michael Flager, the senior pastor of St. Sabina Catholic Church on the South Side. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue. And I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio, 1059 WBBM